Hey, everybody, it's Ray. This week, we're enjoying the holidays with our family and friends. Please enjoy the previously aired episode and look forward to all new episodes with Jim and I coming in 2012. Wishing you and yours happy holidays, and thank you. You're listening to the Ace Broadcasting Network. Welcome to Life Lessons with Jim Carolla and Ray Oldhofer. Okay, here we go, podcasters. <laughs> a new name for you. Yeah, I think you should trademark that name, by the way. Podcasters? Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. We're back on. We're so glad to have you back with us. And Gary tells me this morning that our numbers are going up a little. And, um, and we also have a sponsor. Ray, you've been, you've been doing a little sponsor stuff, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, let's fill us in on that. It's good. It's uh, 1-800-PRO-FLOWERS. They're one, and Amazon.com. Oh, There's two. We got two. All right. So and, and you might be getting one soon, I hope. <laughs> I hope. Um, so we're, we're certainly glad about that. 
All right, we want to continue today, and as we do, we first Ray and I, uh, and myself, I try to feel my presence in the room. We're so used to a life of just coming and going and never checking about, are we really there? What is it that would help us to really fully be there with our presence in the room? So first I check that and I see how I'm doing posture-wise. I tend to slump over and I have to really um, make a, an effort at my age to um, be more erect <clears throat> and see if I can hold on to it. Okay, one of the things I'm working on, um, uh, Ray and I, I'm presenting some of the material, Ray's uh, reacting to it and what his experience of it. He's the man that will get more experience from um, my mind to, and um, from time to time, Gary. Um, so what I'm trying to do is take the tools of Western psychology connected with Eastern schools and Eastern religions and to find commonalities within those two that could help us begin to see what tools we might need um, if we took on a serious journey. So this first one I'm calling is, Why Don't You See Me? Uh, this is a teaching I did a long time ago about the capacity to really see a person, not just look at them, but um, at the point of sensing their dignity beyond just surface personality and really connect to it. And the two people um, in both fields that I'm going to just say a little bit about is Carl Jung. He was one of the original members of Freud's group. Um, he was a Swiss analyst, a uh, psychoanalyst, but from a Swiss school, he almost started his own school, and um, he did a lot of things. He went beyond psychology. He went into alchemy and uh, went into... Um, and he's got the greatest quote ever. What was that? Uh, you told me the story. He was um, near the end of his life, and he was, he was uh, always... Met. It was, didn't he do a lot of isolation time, like weeks on end kind of thing? Well, he had a great house right on the, some Swiss river, and it was yeah, and it was just like a little castle of his own, and he, yeah, he did a lot. He was alone there a lot, yeah. And uh, he was being interviewed by someone who asked him if um, he believed in God, and his response was, "Believe in God, I've met him." <laughs> that's just oh, that's awesome right. quote <laughs> ever. You're the one who told me that story. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, he was the psychologist that went into what he called individuation. That's his famous word. That's really uh, synonymous with him in, in the world of psychology, and that was that is and relates to what we'll be talking about tonight, about person eventually um, growing into a, a deeper part of themselves and find something that's more uniquely them. He analyzed dreams. It was uh, he brought that to psychology. Um, few other things. My old mind can't think of him. Weren't him and Freud in big time cahoots and then they got in, like, then they fought, had a fallen out? Well, uh, um, he, he just went off on his, on his own. He was like more, yeah, you know, his, his parents were, um, his father, I think, was a minister. So he had some spirituality in his life and he, he, he kind of went that direction. But by, oh, by, by also understanding the philosophy, 
the Indian philosophy and Zen and all that. He kind of uh, got that into it too. A very extraordinary guy. And someday we ought to just say, go into him a little bit. So that will he's going to take take care of kind of the Western psychology world and and um, uh, Shogun Trumpka and uh, Suzuki might be two people from all the other uh, covering a lot of ground. And um, I'm trying to think of a woman analysis uh, analyst. Uh, um, Wait, who's the guy with the cool name? Shogun what? Trumpka. Was he? He was a Buddhist, uh, Tibetan Buddhist monk. Very famous. He came to the United States and really um, uh, helped introduce uh, Tibetan Buddhism. Very extraordinary guy. He's another guy we, we should be able to uh, go into a little bit. But not today. We're still just trying to get some headlines out of it. Um, so why don't you see me? So let's go back to the very first idea about that. We come into this life as a couple. People, we forget about that. We are a couple. We're not a single. We're not individuated at all. We are a couple. We're a parent-child bond. And that's like a life or death bond. So our first experience of life is bonding and coupleness. The first gaze of the newborn, looking into the eyes of the mother, of the caregivers, uh, and forever after that, we want to find ourselves in the eyes of someone else. So let's go back to that. The very beginning, parents holding, the baby mother looking into each other's eyes, and the baby picking up that, that resonance of what's coming back from mother, the impulse in her body as she holds him. And I'm saying that uh, we want to find ourselves in the eyes of someone else. Now, we know, beginning about that, when you're an adult in a relationship, uh, I'm thinking of my own relationships, four or five major ones, uh, girlfriends are living and are married and so on. Um, what this meant to me, I didn't understand it then, but looking for those eyes of acceptance. And the, so our own real first definition is in the eyes um, of someone else. So let's think of relationship a little bit. Let's step back. Ray, you've been through the mill in that world. Thanks, Jim. That wasn't a negative. Well, the mill, when you put somebody through the mill, it, it's got a little bit of a negative connotation. Well, yeah, I've been put through the mill in that. Sorry. But when you were talking about um, the, these eyes, um, mm -hmm. and you were speaking of like the mother child connection and then you related it to relationship that's that's a huge step mm. i mean i you know how many people can say you've gazed at your partner with those eyes i mean those are all forgiving end all be all you know you're done eyes right yeah i mean that's, that's a big deal that's what a template is set and i'll go into that in a moment so look at the three of us me an 80-year-old man, Ray somewhere in the middle in his 40s, Gary at the beginning. The three of us now, and me being so old that I've got a chance, I've been on the earth longer, been through maybe more. Um, but the three of us and all people, really, to different degrees, 
the eyes of someone else that could look at us in a way where we we um, feel at home or feel like it's much it's like to a truer part of ourselves. Um, but there are those bondings that took place, which I'm going to call a template, that we're going to carry the rest of our life, that template of how that went between mother or the caregivers and baby. So we start off life with an imperfect relationship, this pair, and we continue to make imperfect relationships the rest of our life. Now, what, So you're saying it's Pete and repeat from the get-go? Yeah. Like you're going to replicate whatever you got <clears throat> Right. When you were gazed at at mom, like let's say my mom might have been angry. So you're going to seek angry relationship? Well, you you're going to try for acceptance. So was my, I think our mothers have some similar. My mother was uh, chronically irritated and you know, had a difficult life and worked in the sweatshops of the world and was away. She had to find babysitting for me or I roamed the neighborhood. I went on the corner, but... Um, so wanting someone that will not just respond in that way, though we may be at, attracted early to someone that is not accepting. It's not, it's not some kind of pure science, but we've been hurt and wounded. That's all went underground, but there's a template is underground, and it's going to have different dynamics in different relationships. But at least to be aware that is a bonding template, and it's not conscious. That's the first part. Hey, with that said, Jim, can we get a quick word in from our sponsor? Sure. Hey, everybody. If you shop at Amazon.com, like I don't, but you probably do, you know how convenient it is, and you know what great deals you get always. If you want to support the show, and I hope you do, every time you shop at Amazon, use the Amazon link on our site to get there. You support us with every purchase. You can even bookmark it, and we really appreciate it. Unbeatable convenience, amazing prices, great shipping rates. I love Amazon.com just because they support us, and I hope you do too. So please do. Thanks, Amazon. So, Jim, what you're saying, so let's say, you know, my mom was personified struggle, you know, a little bit angry, a little edgy. But I, I see that I definitely bring all of those things to my relationships, but, and I'm even conscious of it. Hmm. I mean, I see it. I, I see my behaviors and then I'll look at it and I'll go, wow, I've done this before. I mean, hmm. now it's out in the light more so, but I do definitely get that it's underground because I've had many a relationship where it was underground and you were just on, and you were, it was a template. It was like already fixed in stone what mm -hmm. you did. And it was going to be drama, and mm -hmm. there's going to be fights, there's going to be this, there's going to be... I mean, they were all predictable. Yep. Super predictable. Mm -hmm. God, that sucks. Yeah, but we're going to get... We're going to understand that, try to understand that even more as we go along. And the Buddhist part of that, which is one of his first truths... I never went out with him. <laughs> you, never, you never met him either. Um, first truth is life is inherently unsatisfactory. In other words... This is an area of a lot of frustration as we begin the road um, of what relationship is, to have it work. Um, this frustration is trying to find that in somebody else. And Buddha said, yeah, that's, 
that's life has that. It's a life is, um, and at that level of mind, life is, life is inherently unsatisfied. That's his first noble truth. So from the start of relationships, they, they're stressful. They could be stressful. And this is a matter of degree. It's, it's really not anybody's fault, which is the other thing. But though couples eventually blame each other for all of this, but there's a, something working underground that's really, it's not particularly the fault of the person. It's this parent-child template formed in infancy, and it's intergenerational. That's another part of it. It's not just our general family that we grew up with. It's intergenerational. In other words, it's passed down from generation to generation to generation. It's in the whole generational uh, line. I remember when you first told me that, and you told me that years ago, and I would just have this picture of like me in the room or with my significant other, who, whoever it might have been at the time, with like just loads of people standing behind you <laughs> that are all jabbering in your ear right. at the same time, and you know whatever their thing is, they got to get their point. It was, that's what I would picture, and then I'd picture the other person with you know generations of their family behind them, and then mm-hmm. them in present, and then it makes you never. It, it puts you so you're never in the present. It like it dooms you. Mm-hmm. Yes, and see, that's part when we begin to work about what are some of the tools to help with that. And Buddhism has some of the tools and the mindfulness, but we'll wait till we, we'll wait till we get to that. Now, so we're walking around with this pain. We're not sure what it is. There's an unsatisfactory part of it. We begin to date and we go in and out of that, how that goes, whether we're disappointed or what all that's going wrong. And one of our conscious defenses is the, of this um, habitual e- emotional patterns, and rejections. So in other words, we need a kind of a, a immune system, a psychological immune system, you know, like our physical immune system to protect us. We, we get a kind of a psychological immune system, which is a way to try to ward off that pain, and particularly when it reaches another stage, the, the blaming of other people for, for that part. So the psychological immune system would be very Jungian, and I don't think he used that term exactly. And we're all walking around with it. And one of the one of the one of the big parts of that is projection. So we have the template, we have it in mind, and we're projecting it. But it doesn't feel like that. It feels like all the things we're seeing are really um, kind of perfectly the way it is. Is what we. It's think the truth, it. man. And that's right. She is exactly what I say she is. And if she would change and see me in a different way, uh, things would be better. And an example is like the projectionist showing the same film locked in his little unconscious uh, projectionist room. And he just keeps running the same film. And if nothing in, intervenes with that, that's what it'll be for the rest of our life. It's like a real-life Groundhog Day. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. So that projection means we impose our hidden templates on the ways we perceive another, especially when we're in the height of emotions, which is exactly like what falling in love is. When we're falling in love, now we have this search to be seen unconditionally, loved, to be understood and all that. This is the idealization of the beloved. So, so for, love begins with idealization. Uh, idealization. It's a normal part of falling in love. 
that we at the beginning. Look how we describe first lovers. Go back. Um, though the change could be very different later. But think of that. Think of first falling in love. It's almost it's like a chemical thing, too. I mean, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And they're the great... Like, I think about, you know, my first girlfriend and what I felt then. And now it's like, are you serious? You mm-hmm. know, I mean, they're, they're worlds apart. You remember that first girlfriend at high school or poor high school or... What about it? No. It's, yeah, it's high school. High school. So it was remember? Vicky. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, it was, yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you, yeah. Okay. Gary, you remember your first falling in love? Does that have any... Don't say your mom. What school or were you in junior high? Or? Uh, probably high school. High school, your first love. Do you remember the first power of that or the idealizing? Uh, idealizing, yeah, certainly. Okay. It's so, like cloud nine. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That's that's what. So that's what we're all on. So the thievers, uh, remember that first time, first kind of feeling, and um, and that the person then is like kind of a figment of our emotional imagination, though we make them whatever we want to make them, but they're a, f- a figment of our imagination of this template that we're um, that we're carrying around. Um, you know, so well, let me wait. Let me wait to say that first before I uh, get into that. But um, think of all the so many fairy tales have to do with the once upon a time there was a king and a queen. At the beginning, that we lost that that beginning king, king and queen once upon a time where, and the stories always now begin to talk about obstacles along the way. They, they go out and they try to find somebody and all searching. Um, they get separated. Yeah, get separated and go through all kinds of crises. So the fairy tales are very much loaded with that um, wanting to find that perfect person that will uh, fully accept them and they could uh, rest. You see, well, let me go back to another important part about uh, when the eyes of the caretakers meet the baby, according to what's going on in that gaze, if that's really right first place, the baby could relax into his infancy. Now, this is a very key point. The baby's looking for security. Um, he's looking to have a fa- some kind of sound base. Um, of course, he doesn't, it's not in words but just in the kinesthetic being that he is. And if it's right, then he can relax in his infancy. If it's off, then he, then he gets anxious and all kinds of things. See, that relaxing into our infancy is the thing we're looking for. Only it's not infancy as adults. It's relaxing and feeling the comfort and safety of our being. So that's an important point. Like, you can hang out with Lynn for, let's say, I don't know, a couple of days, not really say anything, and be totally comfortable with each other, can't you? Without saying anything? Well, yeah. I mean, your <laughs> your relationship is almost is beyond words, is what I'm getting at. Oh, no. You're, you're idealizing. <laughs> you're, Damn it. I was, come on, Jim. I was going somewhere here. <laughs> um, 
No, oh, that's not the way it works out. No, no. I mean, we, you know, we have our we have our separate lives, and we and we come together and go away and come together. It's no ideal situation. Uh, see, behind the part is this: the uh, the first heart we dis, we we form is figment of imagination. This heart that's looking to be cured and realized by this relationship, that heart has to be gone through. There's struggles that are going to have to be going through, ensuing battles that's going to happen before that heart can get, before you can get down to a real heart, which is not just a figment of an imaginary emotional heart. But that's a battle, and psychotherapy can really help in that situation. Um, some people... Um, Look, the gaze is not a black or white thing. And there's different levels of it. Some people, some babies are much more accepted early in life. And they begin to relax into their infancy and their early childhood. And they're not as anxious. They're not as angry. They're in a little different state. Um, And then there's the opposite of that. But there's things along the way. So the damage to our first hearts are different kinds of wounds. Some are easier. Sometimes, and they find mates that usually they can uh, work some of this out with. Um, but yeah, but either, a lot of times yeah. it seems like the the opposite templates attract or whatever, but they the, all the maladies, it, it winds up being that everything that's wrong with it, because you're not looking at it within, that they seem to mesh. They seem to be in cahoots. Like, oh, that's a perfect couple for all the wrong reasons mm-hmm. kind of shit. You know, I mean, you see it all the time. You're like, what are they doing together? And then you see him squabble or you see, you know, just things you witness mm-hmm. in other people's relationships or even your own. And it's like, hey, this is this is so in sync for all the wrong reasons. Because mm-hmm. you haven't done that work on yourself or you're not cognizant of it even. You know, you see patterns in couples, mm-hmm. you know, that have been, it's like, you know, they've been together for 45 years and shouldn't have been get together for 15 minutes. But mm. you see it. Yeah, yeah. So in our own, let's think of ourselves now. Let's think of our parents for a moment. Just have a sense. And have, what's the sense of their relationship? How did we see it? doesn't even mean we were right. But how do we sense and take in their relationship? And podcast folks, um, if you want to join us in this way, just come back, um, kind of get a little presence in yourself. Think of your parents. They may be alive and or you may be in touch with them or one or one or the other, or they're in another state and so on. Um, um, what's a general sense? I'll start off myself with that. What I remember of my parents, how I saw it through my eyes is that they were just at odds all the time. They're, and I tried to get in between so they wouldn't fight. They, I worried about. The, they had arguments all the time. And I would try to, disway, I would try to um, get in between them. I would even be sick. I would, I would try anything so they wouldn't be at each other all the time. And I became, I became like a referee, and I wanted to do all I can to separate them and have them 
think about, look, how about me? I'm not feeling that well. And so, so they somehow would get off their own fighting. Ray, what, what's, what sense do you have? Well, they weren't really compatible. You know, like dad, you know, if an ambulance drove by our house when we were children, my father would go follow it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just bizarre stuff like that. And they were never in tune with each other. I think my mom was way more pragmatic and dad was more of a, you know, dreamer kind of thing. And they just didn't nesh well. You know, and I remember the arguments and stuff like that. But I, my role in it was, you know, to get... I mean, there's a reason why I haven't been married, right? I mean, that was my example of relationship. Mm. And um, I didn't really see that as a really good time. Mm. You know, and I remember seeing that as a child and saying, you know, I, I don't think I want to do this. Mm. You know, and you can eat... I can, and then I would seek out... Because I didn't have a lot of love or respect for my father, and I'd seek out, like, other male authority figures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, football coaches, you know, some teachers. Will Davis, who's a childhood friend of mine that I happened upon, you know, in the neighborhood kind of thing. Guy building a boat. Mm -hmm. But my mom was always super strong, and she's the one who held everything together. That was, like, her role in the family. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, with my mom, you really couldn't do anything right either. Yeah. yeah same thing with me. Yeah, my mother was too. And Let me help do you do the dishes, right. mom. You do them wrong. Right. <laughs> so we got both got the same thing with that. I don't know, Gavin, do you want to join this or you want to log out or sense of your parents? They're still alive, right? Yes, they're still alive. Uh, any sense, just general, you don't have to reveal anything deeper, a general sense. You know, I... Um, I had a very idealized sense of them for a long time. Uh, as I've grown up, I've come to just, you know, they're just normal people, uh, just like me and and you and anyone else. But, uh, you know, I've, I've led a sheltered life when it comes to my parents. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, and that happens... Uh, when, when we have a real ide- idealization of a parent through the early years, and it sounds like Ray and I didn't have that too much. Back, Gary had that somewhat. Uh, then there's a part going through then having to work through the idealization to a more real sense of a relationship, for the relationship to be more real then. But that ensues, some, that's not an easy one. That's one things have to be worked through and little confrontations. But once that happens... Um, it could be closer to the, your parents that, if that would happen. And a great help with that is always some kind of outside help. But some, you know, some people are not geared for that. They're not really to see a counselor or something. Um, I, remember, I remember my mom was, because you know, my mom was a little down on on Jim, and, uh, and she would perpetually bring this up for a while, and I went through a really hard struggle uh, um, this was like three, four years ago, something like that. No, longer than that. She's been dead for, this was like five years ago. And she was really getting on you. I go, listen, Ma, here's the deal. He's not the one who raised the fucked up kid, all right? And then she just looked at me, burst into tears, and I went, uh-oh. You know, like I crossed that uh-oh. line there. Uh-oh. And then, and we did get closer after that. I mean, we always had an understanding and and with each other, you know, especially 
when I was an adult, and you know, we did have that gaze, and we did have that comfort with each other. Especially when you know the last eight years of her life, she was struggling with mm. cancer, and especially the last two years were really tough. You know, but you know, I'd see her every day, and you know, I'd make sure she was all right, and it was you know, it was good. Mm. Well, you can see what Ray and what they went through. Um, Ray's idealization of me, he now tells her about that. Um, you know, and that's hard for her to hear. You know, she doesn't want to hear that. No, I didn't defend you or anything. I no. just said, you know, well, yeah, I did, but yeah. you know, whatever, Jim. Right. <laughs> um, so our beginning round, we need to come around this one again. This one has a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, um, in our life, for our podcast audience who is just beginning to think of this, about who who might have they idealized very early, and um, some of the relationships that didn't work out, and uh, the other person sometimes doesn't buy our idealization. Um, sometimes when it goes long enough, them you know, that pedestal we put them on, they fall off the pedestal because we see failures and weaknesses in them and so on. It's quite something. Relationship, remembering that we come into this world as a peer and there's a tremendous bonding with that peer that's, that depends on the trust of the survival of the baby, even if their caretakers are unworthy and untrustworthy, makes no difference. That baby needs that badly. And, um, and that bond forms a template that we bring to all other relationships, particularly opposite sex uh, uh, relationships. But you know, it's extreme one would be like the pro athlete who loves his, you know, crack dealing dad or something <laughs> like that. A lot of that. I mean, not a lot, but there's yeah. it's out there and mm-hmm. adores dad. You know, it's it's a it's a weird thing to be connected to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. See, I, I idealized my father, but I didn't know the. I just knew my mother was mad all the time, and he was when he was an unemployed trombone player. I mean, holy God, you know, in a world where uh, depression is on, and there's no money, and he's like trying to make it as a musician. And my mother's, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I wanted to be a musician like him, so I idealized him. But I would have to face now what I know about him now, and he. You know, he's been dead a long time. That I would have to go through something with my father, such as he wasn't really there in that sense. He was out kind of doing his stuff. And I was, I, I, I went to his side. And my mother was just as... Uh, did you personal. replicate a lot of what he did? I mean, do you think about that? Um, like, were you not there at a level? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. And he, he was very, he was passive and he was escaping and I... I, I certainly saw that as a way out. Like, was your mom the householder? Yeah. Oh, family? yeah. My mother, my mother, my mother worked and kept the house. They kept it going. And he didn't earn. A, he didn't earn enough money. Um, just this one period when the war broke out. Um, uh, my mother went into and went into the army workshop stuff. And of course, now they changed the uniforms. The tailoring now went to uniforms. And my father, for the first time, I've forgotten about that. First time in his life, he went to work. Uh, he went to work in the Baldwin's locomotives. 
Now that's uh, in Chester, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia. A lot of my uh, relatives and paisans went there to work uh, when it was a, um, a, a one of the largest uh, manufacturer of train engines, I think, in the world. It was like a whole city. They, well, my brothers worked there and so on. And my father then, in those 40s, um, he, he played in the band at lunchtime. <laughs> you know, in other words, he played, it was like a little marching band. And when these, these guys like, this, these, these places were going 24 hours a day, you know, in the heart of the war. They were building tanks now and uh, working around the clock. And they needed this uh, march music at lunchtime um, and playing over the... What was it, like motivational or yeah, something? Yeah, motivational, So it right. was to, like, to keep the everybody morale up yeah. and get moving? Yeah, those marches, you know. And, and the, like all John Philip Sousa kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, that's right. Wow. So, yeah, so that... Um, he worked for him, but he but he also when he wasn't playing his trombone there they wanted to put him to work with see you know all the men went to war most of the men and uh, they needed people to work in the factories why didn't he was he too old yeah I think he was a little beyond he might have he might have been like in his 30s see, I think he was too old for the draft um, so he worked in the parts department but that was his only employment and it only lasted you know, for a couple of years or less. But I remember when he came home, he was like in a, he was in a workman's clothes. And I, I you never saw your father in a workman's. I always saw him with a suit going to the union, trying to get a gig. And here I see him come out of a car and he'd be like in these, you know, what, what, what actually all most fathers did in my world. They had their work clothes all the time. My father had his suit on ready for a gig. That he mostly never got. Okay, so I'm checking our time, and I see we're just right at the end. Um, you know, podcasters, let us know. Is this a subject that's interesting for you about this template and relationships you get into? You could let us know. We can go on a little further with it. Uh, we, have, we only covered the surface of it, and uh, we could, if it's interesting to you, we'll go a little further. Okay, so we're going to move on to our, our ending and do a little, um, we always go off with a little scat. Two, three. My 20s. Hotel, we're talking about what relationship is about. We're saying our first relationship is with our mamas, papas, caretakers, and however that went, mm, we made a record of it. Okay, listen. Bop, bop, bee, bop, bee, bop, bop, day. Okay, Ray, here we go. Bop, bop, bee, bop, 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 bee, day. Yes, see, Ray's getting out. You hear that? Bop, 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 his head is shaking up and down. I mean, he's really feeling the groove. That means let's stop. Yeah, that means let's stop. I thought he meant he was in the groove. But he says let's stop, so we'll see. All right, let's do a little more. Get down, Jim. Go. 64th notes. Top of the date and ball day. Top of the beat to down, down. 
See you next week. Reach the show on Twitter at LLWJC or email us at Jim Carolla at AdamCarolla.com.